ask that you would help us to, uh, to watch and see what happened in the tomb and, uh, and to enter into the goodness of it. I don't know, Father, how this will hit, how this will connect with people's hearts this morning. I do know that goodness is at the very center of the throne in heaven and that you've revealed yourself as a good and holy God and, and that should cause us to tremble a bit more perhaps a whole lot more. So we love you. We ask that you would take your word, deepen, deepen our sense of, of, your, of your wonder and your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Number one, goodness is no longer wishful thinking. Number two, goodness is no longer without shape or purpose. And number three, goodness is no longer experienced once in a while. You can't keep track of all those things, so I'll hopefully remind you. Goodness is no longer wishful thinking. For many people, goodness is kind of a general thing, isn't it? Uh, Non-Christian, non-Christians, you know what goodness is. If you're here today, we're glad you're here, really glad you're here. Uh, Goodness is just sort of this thing that everyone expects or wants in the world. We don't like an evil world. We sense evil, but we want goodness. We like it when we work for a good boss, a good company, a good commanding officer. That's a good thing. C.S. Lewis, in his Chronicles of Narnia, introduces children. By the way, C.S. Lewis thought of adults as finally being old enough to read children's stories. Hopefully you're old enough to do that. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, you begin to, the first book, you begin to get a sense of goodness ought to, be, ought, to be, ought to be in Narnia. Goodness should be here. Goodness is not. It's winter and there's never any Christmas, remember? So goodness should, should be part of, of Narnia. And there is this introduction to this lion, right, Aslan. And the first sense you get of Aslan is, is goodness. It's goodness. If, 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 Aslan, if Aslan would just show up, no, the things are gonna, things will be good. Of course, the words and the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, you have you have goodness on display, don't you? Of course you do. And as I mentioned last week, as we're looking at Jesus on on a, a little donkey going into Jerusalem, he's drawing us in. We're watching him. We see his beauty. And in, in his life, in his teachings, in his miracles, in his defending the, the, the defenseless, in, his, in the way he conducts himself and he thinks of the, of the poor and the socially ostracized. He thinks of the unrighteous. He thinks of those who don't feel like they could ever approach God. He's got this beautiful goodness about him. Goodness in the, on the resurrection day, this resurrection day we celebrate, goodness is becoming re-established at the core of the universe. Goodness. Now in your mind and in your heart, do you live in kind of a, a wishful world? Are you a bit maybe disconnected from this resurrection that we're celebrating? It wouldn't surprise me because we're all sort of recovering from is it really true that goodness is now on the march in world history? How, how, can, how can we even say that, knowing how the terrible, 
the terrible things that have happened in world history? How can we even say that goodness is now taking center stage? Has goodness taken center stage? We see this anticipated and that the, the, the disciples seem to be kind of lost in sort of wishful thinking at times. They're so close to goodness. Sitting there in the boat in the, in the Sea of Galilee, goodness is embodied right there. Goodness that can calm the storm. Goodness that can cause this great catch of fish one day. And they panic in Mark chapter 4, and there's this massive storm, and they complain to Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? You sort of get this sense among the disciples. Oh, we, we sort of wish he was the one. They're so close. They see miracles, and yet they, they, they doubt. And, of course, Jesus at that moment in Mark 4 calms, speaks to the storm, and he speaks to the waves as if they're persons and says, be quiet, calm down. And they do. And then fear overcomes the disciples. And they say, who is this who speaks to the waves and to the storm? Well, he's, he's, he's eradicating their wishful thinking. You've got a real Messiah here. You've got a real king. He's Lord over water. He turns it into wine. He's Lord over the waves that are storming. He talks to them and tells them to be quiet and to calm down. That's the one you have. This is goodness for our wishful thinking. This is the work, Christian, that God continues to do in you, to root you in the work of Jesus, who is the King. And the Resurrection Sunday is the big sign that everything is now going to be working toward your good. It certifies that his death was received by the Father, and now goodness, believer, listen, goodness is always working in you, through you, because God is at work. Romans 8, 28, there it is. All things are working together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Goodness is at work. Goodness is no longer wishful thinking. Someone has come, and they have the power to set things right. That's the history that you're part of. That's the history of the world. The world has included terrible evil, terrible evil in those last hundred years. But there's been a, a change, a turn. Like those who experienced World War II, who knew how is this going to how is this going to unfold? Will our will our efforts matter? What will be the turning point? And you who here who know this history much better than I, there's key points in World War II, the frenzied moment, those frenzied years of of, of Germany taking Poland and Czechoslovakia and, and uh, Denmark and then Finland and France and all this movement and. Uh, incorporating Austria early on, 38, I believe it was, 38, 39, 40, 41, four years of frenzied control. It seemed like they could not be stopped. Then there was this stop, uh, a, a turning point 
where the Battle of Stalingrad, when the Russian armies, when these Russian generals figured out how to do battle and they won that battle and there was a turning point and there were other key turning points of course we as Americans think of of D-Day which is such a remarkable moment but there is a moment when the army is convinced that they are going to win the turning point has happened Maybe you are not the soldier who looks down upon the map and sees it, sees how it's all unfolding, but you get the sense something is up. That, Christian, is when wishful thinking dis- disappears or is disappearing in our hearts. Oh, I wish someone was in control. I wish this would have a good ending. There's something in me that's like the little purple donkey in Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. There's always a cloud over my head. I always knew, Right? There's always something in me that is a little bit doubtful because as Eeyore is interpreting the events of the, of the story, he misinterprets that he can't believe that goodness is underway. Secondly, goodness is no longer without shape or purpose. God in human form has entered the fray. That's the shape of it. Not just an idea, not just a concept. In Western, Western civilization, we have this idea of progress. You guys have uh, progress, right? Well, we, now we have toasters and microwaves. Great. Uh, cell phones. Progress. It's just sort of this thing that happens. It's just this, I don't know, progress is happening, right? We created the wheel, and then uh, well, we figured out some vaccines, went to the moon. Progress is just happening. It's just this random progress. It all seems to be working out somewhat, at least medical science and other technologies. And other, right? There's some progress going on here, aren't you? I'm glad I live in this time. Right? It's just, but who do we assign this goodness to? There is, there's good going on, right? Western man, modern man, modern Western man. No, no idea how to account for goodness. No idea. It's just happening. It's just a preference, but it's not real. It's just a preference. It's just what I like. I like a world that's good, and good is a subjective, random, has no accounting of, no way to figure out why good is good. Goodness is no longer without shape or purpose. History, in some philosophies, some religions, is sort of a circle, right? The circle of life, right? That's not for us. We have a timeline. Something started. We went entered into a, the fall, the rebel, rebellion of man. We move into the phase of where God is going to redeem mankind. God is going to take upon himself the, the, the trouble. He's the offended party, and he takes on the offense. He becomes man and now is embodied. It, it takes shape. He enters into history. Our, our timeline is moving forward There is progress being made, but it's by and through our God. This this goodness takes shape in the miracles of Jesus once again. The great catch of fish in Luke Luke chapter 5. It takes shape. What is it like to be around Jesus? There's a wedding. They've run out of wine. No. And uh, I like how Brandon, uh, who speaks for our chapels with Trinity Christian School, Brandon calls that the unnecessary miracle. 
He doesn't have to do a miracle. There's no nothing. He just, weddings ought to have wine. That's it. Well, this ought to be a festival, a, a festive occasion. So what happens? He turns water to wine. What's it like being around Jesus? There's shape and there's purpose. Jesus is presented as the word made flesh. There's the shape. The Apostle Paul in uh, Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. There's the shape of the goodness. Jesus himself then begins to put some shape to it. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door. John 10 again, the shepherd. John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the shape of the goodness. And then when John the Apostle reflects upon the goodness that he saw in the life of Jesus at the end of his gospel, John, he says the world could not contain all the books that would be written. So if the goodness took the shape of a book, you couldn't exhaust it. Remember how Psalm 23, David is sort of thinking about God's goodness. In Psalm 23, he says something about goodness, doesn't he? Surely, goodness and mercy will do what? Follow me how long? All the days of my life. All right, you're preaching. Good job. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's someone tapped in to the shape of, of goodness toward him. David's, David's figured it out, facing the Philistines or Goliath or whatever his betrayals. David is catching on. All of this stuff, my God, can shape and make. Listen to this. It's happening in your life. He's making and shaping goodness to follow you. I mean, you know what that means? What's that mean? It's behind me. It's in front of me. It's around me. To follow me in how many, all the days of my life, goodness is at the center of the throne in heaven. And it's connected, we are connected to it through the one who took on the shape, the very shape of goodness. And of course, we again look at Jesus for the oppressed, defending the oppressed, the, the, the marginalized, those who felt unrighteous, and he brought them in and he said, there is forgiveness for you. And this shape, the shape of goodness is being formed in you. What what do I mean by this? We think in terms of we can't get this close to goodness, resurrection goodness. We can't get this close without we then taking and saying, then what must I do in my life in order to mimic this goodness, in order to reflect this goodness, in order to move this goodness into the darkness that I see? Martin Luther King Jr. thought this way. He thought in terms of what is the shape of the goodness that is in the gospel. Christians, you must think, this is him preaching to us, you must think more deeply about the oppression you are contributing to. You are not aligning yourself with the gospel. And so there's a shape that we're we're called to take this and it's to be shaped in our lives move deeper into the implications of what God intends for this world. This is not a sort of a smug Sunday. We fold our arms, glad it happened to us, glad we have a resurrection king, 
and then we sort of go our own way, cloistered in a sort of spiritual cul-de-sac, us four and no more. It is for the world. The world needs this shape of goodness, and goodness is being shaped. God is working in us, and he is working in his church. I was reflecting recently on Marianne and I and the girls back in 2005, we had a chance to go, and we went to Istanbul. Fantastic experience. Um, and if you're going, I'm going to pack a bag because I'm going to be sitting next to you. We're going. you got you got to see this place. I know it might sound dangerous. The, the Dutch consulate there has had a Protestant worship service for 400 years in Istanbul. So we went to the Dutch consulate and had church. And you walk through a metal detector. How about that for an experience at church? And then afterwards, you realize there's a fantastic experience where you, preachers up there preaching, and above him, you know, we've got this. I've got this window to compete with, right? Well, this preacher had a panorama of windows that looked out onto the city, and through every window was a mosque. And there we are singing. Our mighty fortress is our God. And this is just like a transcendent moment. This is fantastic. And then afterwards, what's interesting is they have, a, they have lunch together. A little picnic area, right? And so we're hanging around talking with these people, right? And then we find out as the hours go by. By the way, they hung around to like 4 o'clock. This is a big deal. These Christians get together. And I find out, wait a minute, here's, a, here's, a tra- here's someone working on a a language no one even really knows about north of, north of, in the northern parts of Turkey. Here's someone who gave up a career in, in, a, in a, a high-level PhD in languages and now is helping figure out how to translate Scripture. In other words, what I found out was that the people who had gathered had come from miles and miles away because they are doing missions work. What is that? It's a signal of the of the goodness that can be shaped, is being shaped in his church. Around the world, God's goodness is working and being shaped. It's happening. Wonderful stuff. Goodness has taken shape. Now, thirdly, goodness is no longer experienced once in a while. It's no longer shaped, uh, experienced once in a while. Whenever we, we say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, Heaven is the centerpiece of, from which all this goodness flows to us, this grace. It's a continual protection to us. Christ has been exalted now. And from his exaltation, we receive union with him, continual union, not sporadic, not when, when we are really good Christians, as it were, or when we're really obeying, and then we really have things, our act together continually, God is applying the work of his Son to you. The goodness of Jesus is always working for you. Our experience of goodness feels and can be sporadic. But this experience does not define what is true about the continual goodness flowing to us. The Spirit is in you. It takes, he, he, the Spirit of God, 
is working that you would have more and more consistently an experience of his presence. You don't live in a random universe where goodness is just once in a while experience. And now you can turn. Now you can turn and say, Oh, Father, if goodness is always working toward me, if it will always follow me the days, all the days of my life, help me to lose control. Isn't that the core issue of the disciples? All the way up to the cross, they want to control their lives. Even up to the, up to the final Passover with, with his disciples, some of the disciples are thinking, out, now how can we have greatness? Yeah, we want to have thrones of greatness with you, Jesus. Completely out of sync with what's going on. They have control issues. And as they discover the deep love of Jesus in the death and the resurrection, they begin to let loose of it. They're now finally able to be apostles, see, because they're letting loose of their own control. Goodness is surrounding them. And of course, we've talked about Peter. Peter's such a beautiful, honest example of, of human frailty. Peter was so afraid to die. So afraid. And you can see some transformation happening in Peter. He's the great preacher in the history book of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Peter of all, the one who denied Christ, the, the rooster and all that. And Peter's the one who stands up in front of the very same crowd, some of whom were part of the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is 40 days later after Jesus has, has ascended. And Peter's, Peter's the preacher. And he's, his fear of death is diminishing. Goodness is no longer experienced once in a while. So embrace, embrace your lack of control. Embrace the fact that goodness is really underway because King Jesus rose from the dead. C.S. Lewis captures what faith might feel like. We start a little bit with Narnia, so we'll conclude with Narnia. In the silver chair... He captures a bit of what faith looks like, about what someone who's getting used to this goodness might might act like. There's a schoolgirl named Jill Pole. She goes to a stream to drink, but at the side of the stream lies a large lion. There he is. And she stops, and the lion lion tells her, if you're thirsty, you may drink. And Jill hesitates. Are you not thirsty, the lion says. I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Then drink, says the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while while I do? The lion answered this only by a a look and a very low growl. Will you promise not to to do anything to me if, if if I do come, said Jill, I will, make, I will make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I, I daren't come and drink, said Jill. 
Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I must go and look for another stream then. The lion said, there is no other stream. For us, for the world, for the redemption of the world, there is no other stream. This event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then coming his ascension and his current reign, that this is a stream. This is the stream of God's, of God's goodness. And goodness, whatever you see in the evil of the world, whatever you see in the sorrows and wars of the world, whatever you see even in the death of the world, Make no mistake, our Bible presents to us that goodness has now taken center stage. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, may we be dying of thirst as this little girl is described in this children's book. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our king, and there is no other stream from which we'll find goodness. Thank you that you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, help us. We look for other streams. Help us to listen and to become so thirsty that we turn to this cross, we turn to this resurrected one to fill us and to fulfill us. We thank you. That goodness will follow us all the days of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.